We are speaking with the one and only uh, Perry Farrell, the new box set, gigantic box set is called uh, The Glitz, The Glamour, available now. And as we say in Montreal, uh, bonjour, Perry. How are you? I'm doing very well today, Mitch. Yeah. Yeah. So by the way, what, what I like about this is that it's 68 tracks, and I was born in 1968, so I almost feel like you've done this for me. <laughs> I did. But, you did see i i thought so 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 talk to me about this box set and let me ask you this first before i ask you why you did it and how it came about uh, what was it like for you to sort through your entire career these different projects from satellite perry a uh, satellite party i should say to side perry yeah satellite perry, that's a new band that's a that's a good uh <laughs> good news new side project but what was it like to sort of go through all of this because every every single project sort of spoke musically differently uh what was it like for you to revisit did, did you forget stuff and go oh yeah that was kind of cool i did forget stuff <laughs> and listen back to it and it it brought back you know memories were rushing back because um the box set is really a retrospective starting in 1982 something like that is when my first band was and so the the first band, Psycom, is included in it, and it goes all the way through, you know. You hear bass rehearsals going on in the other room. I know it's my son upstairs. <laughs> so my son, over the pandemic, decided he's gonna he's gonna be a musician. Really? Actually, yeah. so okay. Hold on. Before we get back to the box, let me just talk about that for a second because you've been in the music business. You've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. Uh, what do you tell your son who wants to go into it? Do you, do you let him face the good, the bad, the ugly and have his own learning experiences? Or do you take over and say, oh, no, no, no. Let me look at that contract. Oh, no, no, no. Don't do. How, how do you advise him and, and ultimately uh, kids who want to go into the business? Yeah. Well, I feel today uh, we're all just chomping at the bit to get out there and perform now. Mm -hmm. And uh, his friends come over. <clears throat> you know, he's got all his friends are musicians basically you know kind of like myself everybody's basically in the music or entertainment industry um and it's really exciting to see him get down you know with his friends in the garage you know they come over they stay over they drink my booze they watered the bottles down you know everything that we did when we were coming up um and what i tell him because he, you know, he looks at the music industry. He's a pretty smart guy for his age. He's only 19, but he, you know, he says things to me all the time, like, God, being a musician is kind of a shitty occupation, isn't it? And I said, well, depends how you look at it. You know, for me, I like count my lucky stars every day that I'm a musician is the best. To me, it's better than being president of the United States. Or, I agree. Or the... Um, you know, president of of uh, Canada. Yeah, the prime minister. Well, listen, prime uh, minister of Canada. I, I I agree with you because ultimately music brings joy, and uh, yes, politicians exactly. ultimately seem to bring division and, and all right. kinds of hate. So, right. Well, so so let's get into the box set, but let, let me just quickly start with with Jane's addiction. You know, you started in the mid '80s out in Los Angeles, which of course was, you know, uh, Rat, Dawkins, Motley Crue. 
what was sort of the perception of the fan base when you would come in and play a bar? Did they sort of look at you and say, what is this nonsense? Or, you know, do they go, oh, that's refreshing. How were you perceived? Well, I was not in that circle. Right. You know. But that was the circle in in, in L.A. at the time. Yeah, in L.A., there were a lot of uh, kids coming to uh, the city, Sunset Boulevard, try to make music. But by that time, things were getting really, as far as I could tell, pretty burnt out. The sound, the look. I just wasn't down with it. So I hung out with the punk rock kids, the underground. Um, And there was a, a whole other universe in the underground, you know, people that uh, liked avant-garde and punk, uh, indie, alternative, it turned into alternative. Uh, I just, I don't wanna say I ignored their their scene, but I kind of did. I, I didn't actually play their bars. You know, you said, you mentioned bar, like when I come into a bar, I didn't play the bars. I put my own shows on. From the very beginning, I would find a place. Like my first gig, I found a hot dog stand. And I told the guy who owned the hot dog stand, I said, you know, if my band played here, you get a lot of people showing up to buy hot dogs. So he let me play. And I only had like three friends show up. They bought hot dogs, you know, because I had to fulfill my end of the bargain. But uh I was always looking for places to play that were not the typical bars or the typical uh, clubs where Dokken and all those guys, you know, more power to them. I mean, they're, they're musicians and uh, they're doing their best and they're writing about their life. That's all fine. But for me, I looked at it much more. It was about art and And pushing and pushing the the uh, the medium forward, pushing the medium of of sound and music forward, and yeah, I think we accomplished that. James did. Oh, I certainly think. Well, so, okay, let me quickly ask you about that because again, I was I was a youngster at that time, and and I remember the band. I remember watching much music and the videos appearing, and it seems somewhat anti-establishment and somewhat very different to you know what was going on with Rick Ashley and Dawkins and all that glitzy, glamoury stuff. Rick How Ashley? Do you, Rick, well, I like Rick Ashley. <laughs> Wait, is he the guy who sings? Never, never going to give you up. Never going to give you up. My, my Facebook Facebook profile is a picture of me and him. How can you not like Rick Ashley? Really? No, I do. I, I, like to, <laughs> I like to flirt with him, you know, on occasion, send out a Rick Ashley text. But my, my yeah, question is, is, is how did you how did you reconcile doing art and eventually having to do commerce? Because they, they do cross whether you like it or not. So how, how did you reconcile that and, and move forward and say, listen, I want this to be cutting edge. I want this to be super artistic, but I need to sell a couple of albums. Right. Well, that was more the concern of Warner Brothers. Right. It really. Yeah. You know. <clears throat> who who uh, is going to uh, sneeze at a at a big record contract? You know, it, it's what a lot of people are striving for. Right. I wasn't exactly, I was not 
exactly striving for it. I, I try to keep away from the consciousness of money. I, I spend so much money on the projects themselves. <clears throat> As an example, so if we were to do a show or a concert, I will end up these days, I don't care if I break even, I don't care if I lose a million dollars. You know, the new project that we have, Kind Heaven Orchestra, mm -hmm. I, I put in a million and a half into the tool. And of course we, we didn't make anywhere near that back, but my desire, what I strive for is to just put on a great concert, put on a great show. And, and I feel that, and I've, and I've kind of proven this, that if you lead with art, the money follows you. It's like you create a vacuum when you do great art. Money is just like a vacuum. It follows you. People eventually throw money at you, you know? We have a joke around here. Uh, we were, you know, I'm going to most likely have my own label in the, in the next year. Right. And we're thinking of names to call it. So we keep we keep running around with this phrase, other people's money, OPM, other people's money. But it's not good enough to be a record label name, but <laughs> it's it's kind of an ongoing joke that we have because, you know, and that's going back to my conversation with my son when you asked me earlier about what do I tell him? I always tell him, don't do anything for money. Because if you do, it's it's going to be obvious if you're trying to save money if you're trying to be cheap and put a show on people are going to look at your show and say they're trying to save money or you know what i mean they must need money or they're hard up for money or they're doing it for money money yeah it can bring some happiness but even more is is an accomplishment that you've created a great piece of uh, you know, you, a, a great piece of art or um, a great piece of, of music that the world can remember and love, fall in love with. And, they, you know, songs become people's, it becomes their memories, their history. It does. Yeah. I mean, they, they I can recall certain times of my life as an example. They've asked me to do um, a, a Tom Petty uh, satellite radio program. Like right. I would sit in, you know, Tom Petty's got his own channel. On Sirius. On, on Sirius. So they asked me to sit in and do do a Tom Petty um, hour or so like that. And uh, as soon as they, you know, brought the idea to me, I hearkened back to when I left home at the age of 17 or 18 um, from Miami Beach to go out to California to surf. That was the only reason I came out here as I was chasing big waves. And I remember Tom Petty, um, American girl, because it reminded me of myself, although I'm not a girl, but no, but I... it seemed like he was singing about a runaway girl, you know, who's like just took off. And drove up on all 441 with the waves crashing on the beach. See what I did? I just associated my whole life and reminisced my whole life about a song. Listen, I, that I, song was attached to me like it was me. 
But and I get you because you mentioned uh, Tom Petty randomly just like that. And to me, I hearken back to being in a mall in Florida in 1979, my first trip to Florida and hearing Refugee playing. And I remember walking in that mall going, what is that? That is good. And of course, in 79, we didn't really know. And then it and then it was like, oh, that's the guy I heard in the mall. So, yeah, that's what music does. And by the way, that's why it's hard for older bands, whether it's Aerosmith or Kiss or the Rolling Stones, to make music now because all the fans remember back how they felt when they were 10 and 12 and tw- and you just can't compete with that. And even if your music is better now, you can't compete with the memories. You just never can. Well, now I'm going to, I'm going to raise my hand here. Yes, go ahead. Yeah. You know, I completely understand your point of view, but I'm going to tell you something really interesting. Yes. I, I am selling so many downloads currently from the glitz, the glamour. I've got, uh, we've got near 5 million downloads. Wow. And when we're not finished, it, you know, we, the record came out or the albums, the records box set came out like four months ago. Wow. So we're, we're expecting to sell probably close to 10 million by the time we have. Wow. That is so the reason I mentioned that is because yeah, most people would say that, you know, yeah, we're, you know, keep, keep wearing your leather pants and shut the fuck up and just make, you know, old fashioned rock music. But I'm here to tell you that uh, the world has changed so much since even the start, you know, J- Jane's began maybe 30, 35 years ago. And, you know, as a writer, you, you write about current events, you, mm-hmm. you write about what's going on in your life. You, as a musician, you pick up the latest uh, instruments and that could be, you know, an instrument could be a guitar or it could be a native instrument. In other words, software. Mm-hmm. Last night I was working on a remix of the song. You remember that song, Celebrate? I just want to celebrate. <laughs> By the way, again, Celebrate, driving in the car, Florida, 1979, back, back to the memories. Right. That was a good trip, apparently. <laughs> it was, right? Right, so, celebrating, yeah. So you're remixing okay, Celebrate? I'm remixing it, but I but I recorded it myself. So not their song, but I, re- I redid it and then remixing it. You can hear it on um, Satellite Party. Yeah. Of the albums in the box set, the one song Celebrate. So I wanted to remix it and add Mariachi, Mariachi group which I did. So now you see what I did. I, I got your interest. You do. Curious, like, how's that going to work? A mariachi group with Perry Farrell and. Hey, listen, 79 rock, rock and album, right? Twisted sister did a mariachi version of we're not going to take it. So I'm all for it. Oh, really? They did. Yes. So here's what I'm telling you. People. Yes. There are some people that are going to be stuck in the past. Mm-hmm. Usually, usually they're really stuck when it was the best time of life for them. Unfortunately, Correct. I'm sad to say it, but like when they can't move on, it's probably because back then they were the cool guy in high school. <laughs> you know what I mean? And now who knows what they're, what they're up to. But these days, what I like to do is I just, and this is what I always tell my son, 
you if you are going to be a musician, then you're an artist. That's going to be your, your occupation. You are an essentially a messenger. You're a messenger too. Like when you're in the arts, whether it be a writer or um, you, you have a podcast or a musician or an actor or a painter, um, you you are a messenger. You're you're sending a message to the people. So you want your message to be amazing. And it's mm -hmm. got to be current. So what's the new message? You know, there's a lot. There's a lot to talk about these days, right? The world is in a strange, strange state, and we're yeah. getting close to being able to go out into the sunshine again and party. Ha, not not well, in Quebec or not. We we have curfew yeah. at eight o'clock at night. <laughs> well, well, you know what, man. Follow the curfew because you don't want to get people sick or you don't want to get sick, but yeah. also get vaccinated. Yep. Don't be afraid of it. I got vaccinated and um, I've never, I'm not into vaccinations. Like I never took flu shots. I don't know about you, but like flu shot, nah, fuck that. You know, if I get the flu, I'll get it. But this is different. And yeah. I've got a, a lot more riding on being healthy when I go out there to perform, I've got, you know, Lollapalooza size audiences. That's like a half a million people over the weekend. And they all have to be un not non-contagious, you know what I mean? Healthy and in a good mood. So I just, I just concentrate on the present. And the nice thing about being a musician is you get better and better and better. It's I agree. As, as a, as an art form, you know, look at B.B. King. I mean, you just you just start to have a command of your instrument. In my case, it's my voice. And, uh, you know, producing over the years, I have a, a you know, a command of uh, the studio and it's exciting. I'm, you know, making music that I, I re really truly love I'm passionate about, and I can't wait to perform it, even now, 62. In fact, here, let me ask you, I, I got a whole bunch of stuff I want to ask you about, but let me ask you about making new music. Uh, are you at the, sort of that, that great point in your career where you can just sort of do whatever you want without an AOR guy or a label guy or somebody breathing down your back? Yeah. And, and is it freeing? Are, are you sort of living this moment of freedom musically? Yeah, I love it. That's what I was telling my son. You know, if you if you really want to know what I what I talk to him about when it comes to the industry, I tell him you don't have to be, um, you know, under somebody's. Uh, you don't have to be, you know, worried that the record label's not going to sign you unless you do what they ask. Record labels, again, you know, people don't really understand the, the music industry, but there's all kind of, there's a, many different tribes in the music industry. There's some that they're looking for Grammys. Others, they're looking for the Hall of Fame. Others, they're looking to impress the dance world. Others, they're looking to impress the music world through jazz, you know? Right. So I tell my son these days, with the uh, you know the way people distribute you don't have to be on a major label it's you don't. it's almost a precarious position to be in because you get dropped and you don't know what to do from there what i what i've done is i've i've created a team around me 
and uh, we we put our records out right now through Last Man, which is a, a label out of the UK. But they're really they're really amazing, and they understand all the aspects of of a musician's life and the presentation of the music. You know, the box set was um, put together with um, this fellow by the name of Zoltar. Yeah, out of the UK. And he's one of the most amazing, strange artists. Uh, I was going to ask you about Zoltar. He's a fantastic artist. I mean, it's just they're, they're unique pieces. And I think that's what, what makes it important is just that you look at it and you go, yeah, that's that's interesting. Beautiful, right? Absolutely. So, so as the record's spinning, and I love, I love the idea of, you know, vinyl. Yeah. So all the, all the uh, music is pressed up vinyl. Um, and it even has a hologram on some of them. So as the record spins, you're just looking at this uh, come to life hologram. And underneath all of the, that vinyl, you'll find a Blu-ray. And the Blu-ray has the last album, uh, Kind Heaven, that uh, was produced by Tony Visconti. Yeah. And There's it, a name. It's, it's in surround sound. So when you put on the Blu-ray, if you have a home entertainment system that has surround sound, like movie theater, if you have a right. home entertainment movie theater, yeah. um, you'll, hear, you'll hear Kind Heaven in the round. It'll surround, wow. like, you know, my delay systems that I use, they go all around your head like angels. Yeah, that, and by the way, that's why I love, I personally love listening to stuff on headphones because you can hear it sort of whoosh yeah. around. And that's, yeah. that's what I love. That's what I love about that. Uh, let me just quickly get you over to uh, Ultra Payloaded, which was the satellite party. This one was interesting to me because, you know, we, we spoke before as in the 80s, you really didn't want to do anything of that sort of, you know, hair metal, glam metal stuff. And yet here you sort of, whoops, you get in there and you're working with two guys from Extreme. You're looking, you're working with Kevin and, and Nuno. Uh, talk to me about bringing sort of those two worlds together, one more of a sort of a pop rock kind of world and, the, and yours, because the album is fantastic. And, and, and what Kevin and what Nuno and, of course, the other people, Eddie and all that, it really is a unique piece. Um, and is that something you want to do again and work with Nuno? Because he, he's a master. I mean, he's a master. Nuno's an incredible guitar player. Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, but we got into a fight. <laughs> we got into a fight. Um, well, that's unfortunate. Yeah, I know it is unfortunate. You know, like these days, I I think I, I'm I've been thinking back to all the people I've gotten into fights with, and <laughs> thinking like, man, I want to make up with them before I die. How do I do it? You know, like, you just you pick ready? up the phone and you phone them. Ready? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, we got over over the business. It was a fight over the business, but we did great work together. So to tell you a little bit about the process, I was, uh, one day I was at Harry Gregson Williams recording studio. Harry, Harry Gregson Williams is an incredible film composer. Mm -hmm. And he was working at the time at Abbey Road studio conducting, told me something like a 60 piece or an 80 piece orchestra for one of the film scores. And um, I hope I don't get him in trouble here, but he said, you know, I came to him, I said, would you, would you be up for um, 
you know, arranging some um, some orchestra for these songs. I, I played him the record and he came back with like, I, I want to do this one, I want to do this one, this one. So on the the dime of the, the movie producer, didn't know, but Harry took some time to arrange for, for the satellite parties. You have like an 80 piece orchestra on there, right? Yeah, which is great. What I like to do, I like to, I like to create these days. Why, why it's so exciting for me to even talk about music is I love orchestra. I love that period in time, 1940s, where jazz was first coming up. And, the, and uh, there was, you know, Count Basie Orchestra, Duke Ellington Orchestra, um, Cab Calloway and his yeah. orchestra. And just how well rehearsed and uh, the performances, the musicians were, it was almost like teams. It was almost like professional sport teams where the musicians would feel like, my my orchestra is the baddest orchestra and they would go up there and they would try to outdo the other orchestra and um but today we have we have software and we have synthesizers so i love taking organic analog and yep. mixing it with digital to round the sound out because you know i love bass yeah I really love the subs that we can get through the digital production. And I, um, you, can, you can get lost working for days, just playing around with the software packages. Right now, like I say, I'm remixing. So I, um, essentially when you remix, I'm taking, uh, I just recorded Mike Watt, famous Mike Watt from the Minutemen, the Stooges, bass player, yep. and for Pyros. So Mike came in, recorded, mariachis recorded, and then we sat down and we had some good, good old-fashioned uh, synthesizer uh, fun working with, uh, you know, sound waves and changing the sound wave, um, creating loops, and then drum, you know, real drum mixed with electronic drum pads and man you could just it's just like I say it's beyond money way beyond money the excitement that I feel from creating it I'm going to assume people are going to have the same kind of excitement when they hear it yeah well they, they you know you, you can actually sense that in in a band and, and I don't want to start naming names but there are some bands where you listen to their first few albums and they were doing it because they were young and hungry. You just go, yeah, I get that. And then they they started whatever being corporate, or and you just go, oh, it right. sounds kind of vacuous. Right. Like, I know you're more. trying. Yeah, yeah because because it's a, it's known around the industry. It used to be known anyway. Yeah. When when uh, James was coming up, that a, a a record company gives an act three albums. They usually sign them to three to five if they, you know, yeah. that's I mean, like slavery. That's that, like, that was 40 years ago. Now you get one single. <laughs> right, right. And, but what my point was that right. by the third record, that's when they start sticking, screwing you tight. They're like, no, we need a, we need a hit. Yeah. And that's when they start to really suck because the record company thinks, nah, now I got them. 
You know, they got a taste of the money and the fame. And now I'm going to get out of them what I really wanted, which is a super yep. sucky pop song. Yep. You know? and, and they bring in they bring do. in the song doctors and they clean everything up. Right. And you're just like, oh, my God. Right, right. <laughs> and, you just, and then, you know, you vomit and then you cry. <laughs> And then you break up. Uh, the, the yeah, the, and you break up, right? And you break up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there was an unearthed recording of Jim Morrison on here, and and I have to to admit when I when I first read the press release months ago, and I saw this, I went, I went, oh, he's doing a cover song. It's this is poorly written. It's like no, but you, it actually is Jim Morrison. So tell me the story of getting that track because how do you just randomly come along and find an unearthed Jim Morrison recording? Yeah, th- that. Um that fell right into my lap uh one day this was back around year 2000 wow um i got a message an email maybe i can't remember exactly what it was but it was some kind of uh communication through telecommunication from israel wow people i didn't know told me that they had unreleased material of Jim Morrison's and that Jim told them to give it to me. Okay, but all right. But I said, okay. So <laughs> I right. said, well, that sounds really interesting. I said, well, so are you telling me, are you saying, you know, is Jim there? They said, well, we, we communicate with him. And we... So I heard a, a woman's voice. So it was a guy who was definitely from Israel. He had like right. that Israeli right. uh, like, you accent. Give to you, you know, this and that. So I said, well, all right. So send it to me and let me, let me listen to it. And they did. And there was nine tracks. Oh, wow. And when I heard them, I mean, I was tripping out because, you know, Jim's one of my heroes. Of course. And so to hear his voice, it sounded like it was beyond the grave. You're hearing someone talking to you that had. So I started thinking, like, is he alive and hiding out in Israel? What is going on here? I brought the tracks to their manage, uh, the, the estate of Jim Morrison, because it was just Jim. It wasn't the doors. Right. Just his voice. He was singing a cappella. Um, and. They told me, you know, look, I, I said, I would love to, to take this material. What do you think? And, and produce it. So the, the good news was that they allowed me to do it. The estate, you know, his family gave me permission to do it. But they took it out of the hands of these people from Israel. And I always felt terrible about that because I felt like, oh, no, they, they're going to assume that I just like, ha ha, I ripped it from right. their hands. You screwed them over. Yeah, I screwed them over. <laughs> so what I'm doing is that all the money that I would make from um, that track publishing, right? I'm looking to bring peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And that's what my goal is. And I'm using that song. So if you listen to the song, there's a line in there that says, open your window, woman of Palestine throw down your raiment and cover us over. Just try and stop us. We're going to love. Yeah. So I kind of using that as our kind of song marching, march right? As we, as we head into. Uh, did, did they ever tell you how they came into those songs? I mean, did they, no. 
No, and I still don't know, and I still haven't met them. Wow. But but I have ambitions to go there. As I tell you, I, I really am serious. Um, I want to go there and, and have a party in Israel and have another one in Palestine. And I had a Palestinian woman by the name of Sameh remix. Oh, wow. Jack, and another... Uh, remix done by Guy Gerber, who's uh, out of Israel, and the the to bring them together through music. And so the the estate validated that it, this was Jim, and this is not some yeah. elaborate hoax. Wow! Yeah, that is fascinating. Um, before we go, because we're already at half an hour here, but uh, Lollapalooza, I just want to quickly talk to you about that because you know, and I'm going to go from my experience, and then uh, I'll ask you about this. But I remember in the late '80s. There was the Monsters of Rock tour with, you know, again, Dawkins and Kingdom Come and all. And Lollapalooza, to me at the time, seemed like the antithesis. Like, we're going to do all these other bands, the other side of the music industry. Um, you know, and yes, there was a, it was couched in the it's a farewell kind of tour thing. But was there sort of a, a, a counter reaction saying, okay, we're not going to be the glitzy, glamoury monsters of rock. We're going to be the down and dirty new kids on the block kind of, of, of talking about of launching that and, and the idea behind it. Well, it wasn't as conscious as that. As that, okay. It wasn't as conscious a decision. These, these were my friends. I mean, you know, we were touring with Henry Rollins um, all the time. Uh, we were touring with Primus, and um, so they were just kind of, they were our peers, really. Um, Butthole Surfers, yeah. Susie and the Banshees was a group that when I first started with Psycom, uh, we loved groups, it was kind of a goth group. Yeah, and we loved totally. Susie. So she was just a choice out of, you know, admiration. Um, and then we started to piece things together. Mark Geiger knew of this group, Nine Inch Nails, that had not broken. They, they had their first record out, and I was very curious and, uh, you know, anxious to meet um, them. Yeah, them. Um, they went on to be, you know, quite legendary. Um, and, and they also, uh, Trent, altered the the uh, course of of music you know he introduced kind of the industrial sound meets the rock the stadium rock and it was vicious and compelling and everything else but no that they were really i would the way i would kind of uh i would say that they were really from my record collection it was that simple. It was, the, it was the people I was listening to putting on my record player and my friends. You know, when we go to each other's apartments, part of what you did back in those days is, you know, you put on your record collection and had people over and see if you can get laid or, or at least yeah. make a connection, right? <laughs> no, but it's it's interesting how, how much it changed the industry because a lot of those bands at the time, we looked at them or the industry look they're club acts they're little you know they're they're small fry and then you put them all together and it became huge and people went oh yeah we have to pay attention yeah and they yeah. did and the next thing you know everybody's starting to sound like grunge and that 
Yes. That got goofy. <laughs> Very fast. <laughs> but see, but that's what happens in, in, in the world. Something great happens. People see that, wow, that is actually breaking a mold. But now yes. it's what people are starting to mold into. And then that gets, that gets, uh, I want to say ugly and you and, and overly used. And so there's a need to kind of throw a hand grenade and blow the whole damn thing up. Well, and you know, I'm going to ask you about the hand grenade because uh, come 96, you invite Metallica on there. And and I'll, I'll talk to you from the, the Metallica fan perspective as I was one. We looked at it and we went, what the f- are they doing? Why, why are they on that kooky bill? Right. But again, it broke it broke the barriers. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the decision of bringing them in because all of a sudden you were crossing the two worlds, the heavy metal with the with the underground. And, and we looked at it and went, this is stupid. And yet yeah. it was one of the greatest things you've ever done. Yeah. Well, you know, I was at first not down with it. Because of course. Nobody was. What Metallica was, I thought like that is, you know, the dividing line. Yes. But they, but they were evolving at that time. And to put them next to the Ramones, that was a genius move. That kind of showed that, yeah, you know. Yes. Again, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to change if if it's uh, in your heart and you're, you're genuinely feeling it, go with it. As yeah. an artist, you can't lose. If you're following your your gut instincts, go with it. Yeah, because when it was announced on paper, everybody from both sides just went, this is dumb. And then it, you, it went through it and everybody went, oh, that was brilliant. That was brilliant. And it was. Yeah, and and uh, you know we're uh, we've become friends over the years. I've got a you know a really good friend uh, from Venice who's playing bass with them now, Robert. Yep. And uh, I've gotten to know those guys, you know, better over the years, and uh, they they have remained a force in music. So. Hundred percent. Yeah. Hats off to them. And uh, let's wrap up with the with these two questions. Earlier, you mentioned you had a a record label that you're trying to get launched. Uh, what will be the sort of the philosophy of that? Is it let's go find some cool new bands and let's develop a new thing, or is it like, hey, let's find what works and let's you know let's let's go sign Metallica if they're available. You know, what sort of the the philosophy? First, yeah, the first the first uh, order first order of business is to remain true to thyself. I'm mm-hmm. mostly thinking of, you know, a place where I can just put out and distribute my own music. And then as I have gotten more and more into uh, remixing. So what I, the, the system I'm working with now is I record a song. It's, it's not a dance song, right. but it will be remixed after. So I will do the song, a remix of the song. So that becomes like digital dance and also an acoustic angle. So you have three places where you can place it. So you can play that song in the quiet moments of, you know, let's say two or three in the morning, or you can play it at midnight or you can play it, you know, coffee 
when you're getting coffee in the morning with an, with an acoustic of it. So I just like to play with play with sound, play with uh, production. And, you know, I, I'm also working with, this goes back to, you know, your comments to me about, uh, you know, not wanting to change. A lot of people just don't know how to change. One way to do it is work with young young artists. Yep. So I am going to be looking for young artists, but um, not just to sign them. I'm not looking to be a record mogul. I right. just enjoy the company. And I, I enjoy, enjoy the process of writing. So as an example, there's a group, uh, Starcrawler, right. out of uh, Los Angeles. And I think they're an amazing young group. There's another uh, group called uh, um, The Claws, but not Claws, The Claws, C-L-A-U-S. Like Santa Claus. Oh, no, no like, like a, like a, like a, like a clause in the contract. Okay. Right. So I, I wrote a song with um, Starcrawler and I'm currently writing a song with The Claws. So I, I am... Yeah, so I, I really enjoy working with young, you know, young, young yes. groups that are coming up. They're fiery, and they're energetic, and they haven't they haven't uh, burnt out or become jaded, you know. And it's exciting. Mm -hmm. So there's a chance that in the future there we would discover somebody new. But I'm not in a rush for it. It's it's again, it's not about money. It's not about being a record mogul. It's about staying uh, vital with, yeah. with art. But also imparting some wisdom. I mean, you know, you know, yes, it's nice to have new blood as a listener, but also you're imparting knowledge. So it, it benefits both uh, both parties, which is great. Yeah. And yeah, well, really I'll end on this because I mean, because I could go on for another two hours, but uh, the glitz, the glamour is out now. Is that sort of a period at the end of, of the sentence for this kind of music and this and, and you, you start something fresh and new? Or the question basically being, where, where are we going in the future? Is there like a new studio album coming out soon? Are you are you excited? What's next for Perry? Well, so I have I have uh, in the studio on the books, I'm putting out three three songs with the mariachi group i can't wait one of them is a stop remix so the song stop and stop celebrate and uh he's a rebel which was a song that was originally produced by phil specter wow. sung by um darlene love i believe from the crystals um working on that track Maceo Plex is an incredible digital producer. I just finished a collaboration with him. I have the Claws new song to record. Um, Sasha from Sasha and Digweed is remixing a song that I did with Flea called uh, um, Milky Avenue. That's on Satellite Party. So by August, I'm going to do a, a special for Amazon Coda. It's going to be a retrospective with my friends. And, and then 
right after that, if if people will all get vaccinated and we can get start gathering together, I'm going to be ready for some club dates and uh, after parties by August. And hopefully we'll get you up to uh, up to Canada at some point. Yeah, I, I have uh, two two songs by Porno for Pyros that are that are almost finished. They just have to be mixed now. And um, I've got another one from Jane's Addiction. Oh, that's that's terrific. Yeah. See, life's going life's going great. And and on that, as you can hear over there, the the dog is trying to break into the room, but. Uh, Perry, this has been absolutely terrific, an absolute pleasure. I, I had a chance to interview Mr. Perkins uh, about a month ago, and both of you have just been terrific, wonderful. Okay, good man, absolutely. And uh, drummer too. Yeah, yeah, not a bad drummer. Just remind the folks: uh, the Glitz, the Glamour, available now. Six CDs, Blu-ray box set, Psy.com, uh, rem- everything's remastered. And as we say in Montreal, uh, merci beaucoup. Uh, merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Mitch. Thank you, bro. Thank you, brother.